Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hi there, everyone, and we are going to talk more about that sexy body tonight, because that sexy body has everything to do with your relationship with food. Now, rate your relationship with food. Is it toxic? You feel upset, guilty, angry, and ashamed? That would make it toxic. Or is it tasty that you eat in a way that makes you feel good, makes you feel energized, and gives you that nice, juicy feeling inside? Because that has everything to do with whether you're able to love full out. We can't love full out if we've got a toxic relationship with food and that's why our guest tonight has so much juicy yummy information to share with you she's the author of the book things i did when i was hangry oh yeah we've all been hangry all right and the subtitle i love the subtitle is navigating a peaceful relationship with food get out of toxicity to peace tonight we're welcoming Annie Mahone, who shares her journey toward a healthy and mindful relationship with food. And Annie knows of what she speaks because she struggled for years with negative body image, eating disorders, food-related anxiety. And she's going to tell us all about her journey and help us on our journey with food. Welcome to the show, Annie. Hello. Have we got Annie? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me here. I'm very oh, happy to be pleasure. here. Oh, it's a pleasure. Absolutely. Now, am I pronouncing your name right? Is it Mahone? It's pronounced Man. Man. Okay, so it's spelled yeah. M-A-H-O-N, everyone, and it's Man. Thank you for yes. setting me straight there, Annie. Now, tell us about your journey with food. What brought you to write a book called Things I Did When I Was Hangry? Well, it's kind of funny how I ended up writing the book. I have always had a, a conflicted relationship with food, at, at least far back to maybe prepubescent or that around 11 or 12. And um, up until maybe five or six years ago when it really began to get better, um, but I wasn't really planning to write this book, and I was um, asked by the publisher. Now wait a to second. Wait consider. a second. You said your wait. Yes. I got to ask a question. Your yes relationship was difficult until five years ago. What what does that mean? That it was difficult. Well, I mean, it, I would say it's you know, it's of course it's not perfect now, but I still um, was obsessing on food. You know, for for years I obsessed on food. I start it started out when it was when I was uh, eleven or twelve, really getting into dieting and. Um, taking diet pills and At 11 starving. Or 12? Yeah, I mean that's when I first started becoming oh, aware of it. Yeah, wow. yeah, that's I was really pretty young. young. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. So here you are, and, let's start um, taking diet pills. That's amazing. Well, I'm not sh- Yeah, I may not have started on the diet pills until maybe 12 or 13, but, yeah, I was pretty young. 11, I was aware of it. I, I had parents who were aware of food and thought and talked a lot about eating and weight, and so that was always on. It was on my mind from a young age, yeah. So did you think they you were about fat? Is that why you were doing it? Well, you know, I don't remember thinking that my body was fat probably until at least 12 or 13. But even at 11, I remember thinking there's something about food that isn't safe, mm-hmm. right? Because I hear people talking about it, and my dad had a lot of um, a difficult relationship with food, and he was using – he was the one I would steal the diet pills from, and he was using, you know, laxatives and diet pills and liquid protein back in that time before they they banned it because it wasn't safe but it was just a lot of talk about that and so i knew there was something about food that was sort of scary and not safe to to eat too much of and then i started to learn more about you know through watching my parents but also through society and watching the media to think oh yeah there is something wrong with food because i need to be thin i need to not eat it or else you know something's wrong with me so what was going on with your dad and your mom that they were already into this this kind of toxic focus on food if if I can call it that. Right. Yeah, I don't I, don't, I really don't know what their long-time history was with it, but I know that um for my dad, I think it was a a kind of addiction, a kind of addiction on food the way I describe in the book that it was for me, which is a way of of not having to deal with difficult emotions by being obsessed with food and eating and not eating and um, and just sort of always worrying about it. So if you're always worrying about food, then you don't have to really focus on the other problems that you have in your life and the other difficult feelings you're having. And I'd say for him that was part of it. And then for my mom, I think it was a lot of the pressure to be thin. And so she became a vegetarian pretty young, even though it wasn't that popular back then, and it was a lot more about her health and about wanting to stay thin. And so she was on the control side. My dad was on the sort of, you know, emotional roller coaster, like, I should eat. No, I don't want to eat. I want to eat. I don't want to eat. You know, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to eat everything off the plate. So it was a little confusing for a kid. That sounds very confusing, way <laughs> yeah. more than a little confusing. I can imagine a little girl going, what the eh is going on here with these people? Wow. Yes, right, right. So, and know, then there was a lot of make up no- all kinds of stuff really early because that little child brain can't process things. What did you make up about food? About food. Well, I I really was made up the fact that food isn't good. It's not a good thing, you know. It's like something to to be afraid of, to fear, mm-hmm. um and not to enjoy, never to enjoy. Um, but just to sort of balance and always be attentive to and make sure that it wasn't overtaking me in some way. And, you know, because then if I were to gain weight, I mean, that's like the worst thing, you know, to be fat. And, my, you know, my family, that was a very bad thing. And there was a lot of focus on, oh, you look thin. Oh, you look fat. Oh, you look, you know, there was a lot of So were your parents oh, you thin with that? all this, this dieting and <laughs> all this liquid protein and diet pills and laxatives, were they thin? My mom was pretty thin, yeah, um, you know, average to thin. And my dad was up and down because that was how his food relationship was. So he'd be thin and then he'd be not thin. But he was never really quite, really, really heavy. But he went up and down. And still, to this day, he's 85. He still goes up and down a bit. What about you? 
I've gone up and down um, over the years, um, way down and then not way up, but up more than I would want to, but I'm more skewed toward the downside. Um, and then, uh, you know, for the last 15 years, I've been relatively stable. Uh, so as I said, you know, over the last five years, I've really released a lot around food and I don't think about it in the same way at all. I mean, I think about what I'm going to eat, but I don't have all, a lot of that heaviness around food that I used to have, which is like, oh, why did I eat that or should I eat that or that? I pretty much eat based on my intuition now, and that feels so much better. That sounds like a great turning point that you've reached. And I want to hear more about how you got to the turning point, but before we go there, just mm-hmm. – You know, because this is a topic that so many people struggle with. We have a crazy relationship with food in America especially, and I know I think it was Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis who said America is the only country in the world where our national obsession is being thin and our national pastime is eating Exactly. That's exactly right. That's the contradiction we get every day, that we're supposed to be thin. But now, look at our culture. We're such a foodie culture. It's all about food. You know, oh, yeah. You're supposed to be able to eat all you want and all these great things and really be into food, but you're never supposed to be, you know, gain a pound. You have to be really thin. So I wow. don't know how anyone can navigate that. You know, it's it's difficult unless you have your, you're grounded in yourself. Yeah, and, and then here's the other thing. Yourself. We're talking about thin and eating, and in this conversation, you know, we have to inject what that does to relationships, what it does to us in terms of our self-esteem, our self-image. You know, I'm sure that when you were going on that yo-yo ride and your parents being on the yo-yo ride, people weren't happy. And oh, it right. sounds as if no. your dad never healed. He's 85 and he's still going up and down. Yeah. No, it's true. It is. It definitely has to do with not being happy. And I would say one thing I discovered when I was writing the book was that underlying a lot of my issues was this un- unhappiness, this feeling that people don't like me. And so then I would just either want to eat to cover that up or want to starve to make them like me, you know, so there was this underlying unhappiness that I think that's what really healed through the process of practicing mindfulness and yoga. It's that that part started to heal, and now I can be comfortable with whatever my choice is. So what's the worst thing you did when you were hangry, when you were obsessed with food and doing all this up and down stuff, and, and you were hangry a lot of the time because there's some starvation connected with all that. Right, right Exactly. Well, I mean, I broke into, well, I lived in a sorority house. I broke into the kitchen, the locked kitchen, and got food out more than once. Um, I <laughs> describe in the book a time I threw a plate at my dear husband because I just was over the top with all the obsessing and the family and dynamics. So, you know, it's not a pretty picture. You threw a plate at your husband? I did, I did, I know, I know. (laughs) Bless your heart. I'm not proud of it. (laughs) Yeah, well, hangry will do that to you. You know, your brain doesn't work well when you're hangry, and I've certainly seen enough people go off the deep end when they're hangry, and, you know, we have that old thing, halt, never too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, because you just can't be a great partner 
Right. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that about the impact it had on your marriage because, of course, here on Modern Love Radio, we want to look at all of the things that influence our love lives. And being hungry right. makes you a really, <clears throat> what shall we say there, Annie? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was not very nice a lot of the times, yes. Bless I your heart. I, yes. So mm. what was the turning point for you? What got you? You've already mentioned meditation, yoga, mindfulness. Talk about your journey. How did you get from the hangry girl up and down the diet pills and breaking and entering to get food and throwing plates to getting your arms around this issue? Yeah, well, I um, I came to find mindfulness um, when I was a young mother. So I had these four little kids. That was the other chaos. I had four kids in three years, which was wow. wonderful, but it was also chaotic, yes. So I was Holy really cow, kind of, twins. Yes, I have twins in the middle, exactly. Oh, my God. And I was very much at my wit's end with, you know, just this obsessing on food, but also then wanting to control their food and and also just the stress of having that many kids and my unhappiness is, unhappiness as we talked about that drives a lot of this and I discovered a book by the Zen teacher Thich Nhat Hanh and when I oh, read it wonderful. it talked about stopping right it talks about being present for your life and I realized you know I was almost never present for my life then and it made me sad but it also woke me up like oh wow, there, I could be present for my life. That's something that I could do and not be always distracting myself with these obsessions. And I discovered that he offered a retreat. And I could take all four of my little kids. They were just the right age that they could start coming at age six. So I had six, seven, seven, and nine. And I loaded them in the back of our car, and I drove them up to this retreat in upstate New York. And we stayed for a week. And I was hooked. Oh, wow, I said, that's amazing. I know exactly yeah. where you were in upstate New York. <laughs> <laughs> I know that retreat center very well. <laughs> yes. And I said, this is it. This is how I want to live. I want to live this kind of, like, present, compassionate, caring kind of life, and I will do whatever it takes. And I started practicing right then, and and that was in 1999. Now, when you practicing. say practicing, what do you mean? Give that Give our listeners a description of what you mean by practicing. Yeah, practicing. So I think of it like if it's like yoga. If you wanted to learn how to do a headstand in yoga, you'd have to practice that. And if you want to be able to be present in more moments, we have to practice being present. And so that means both practicing meditation, kind of classical sitting and following your breathing meditation, but also practicing in life, like in any moment, like washing the dishes, practicing being present with the dishes, listening to my child tell me a story from school and being present for that story. So it means really trying to be present in any moment as a kind of practice, not as a way of like, oh, I'm good or I'm bad because I wasn't now, present. Now, what's different? Describe the difference between being present and not being present. So for me, being present has two aspects. One is to actually be aware of what's happening. And the other one is to have it holding this flavor of um, loving kindness. So for me, mindfulness has both of those aspects. It's not just being aware of what's happening, but that's an important part of it. 
but it's also bringing to that moment this loving kindness flavor. So it's accepting every, you know, whatever you find in the moment, not pushing it away, not clinging to it, but just having a kind of curiosity or loving kindness toward it. And when I'm not present, it's when my mind is off ruminating, obsessing, you know, whether it's about food or whether it's about, you know, shopping or whether it's about some conversation I had that I don't feel good about, then I can't be present because my mind has gone off in some other direction. Yeah, yeah. It's like a dog chasing, you know, I don't know, chasing something. So <laughs> yeah, squirrel. The key, my dog chasing squirrel. Here, I also want to point out that one of the really important things about using a tool like mindfulness meditation, which is what we're talking about with our wonderful guest, Annie Mann. Did I say it right? Yep. Annie Mann, thank you. I want to get that (laughs) name just right. And that's M-A-H-O-N. So you can get with her on the Internet. I'll give you her um, website just a little bit later. But one of the things about this that's most important for everyone is that some form of practice that brings you into the now lowers stress. And Mm -hmm. most of us aren't even aware that our hearts are racing, that our bodies are kind of braced and tense. We're clenching our teeth or clenching our jaw or Mm -hmm. we're scowling without even being aware of it. Now, because I'm, you know, the modern love doctor, I want to just say if you're in that clenched, uptight, scowly, face and body, you are not available for love. You're not available for connection. And, of course, the obsessing about food, you know, food is the thing that we're focusing on right now, that plays a huge role in interfering. I don't know anybody who's got food issues or any kind of addictive issues who's in a smooth, peaceful, loving relationship. They don't go together, right, Annie? That's so true. So true. Our, my relationship with my husband of now 28 years has improved dramatically with mindfulness, and he would tell you that loud and clear. And my yeah, daughter say actually, my wife stopped yeah. throwing plates at me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He says, he says, he says, you're just so much nicer now, and it's, it's true. I mean, I'm much more available, as you point out. When you're present, you're available to somebody. I'm not available when I'm distracted and not present. I'm not even at home. Like, no one is home in my head. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah. So what was the was biggest in- change in your relationship with your husband when you started coming off hangry and getting to a place where you're connected with yourself and you're present well, a couple things. One is that I, I wasn't as reactive to him. And when he was having issues, it used to be if he got upset, I would be very reactive and I couldn't even hear a word he was saying. I just went into like a panic mode and went off. Now I'm much calmer and so I'm not as triggered by him. And so if he's having a problem, I can actually hear it. You know, I, instead of running off and being like, ah, something's wrong, I can't pay attention, my mind has to race off and maybe think about food or think about something uh-huh. else. Now I can really be there for him. Yeah, so, so I can when you go him. off and you, your mind takes off, because I know it's a constant dynamic practice, when your mind takes off and you start to obsess about food, what do you do? Um, you mean what do I do to counter that? Yes. Yes. Well, the very first thing I have to do is I have to notice that it happened. 
that it sounds like a small thing, but that's really the key to the whole thing. As soon as I notice that my mind is off, I'm already most of the way home because I notice, oh, I'm not here. So I might be looking at someone in the face and all of a sudden I'll realize, oh, I don't know what they're saying because my mind isn't here. But as wow. soon as I do that, then I can bring myself back and say, oh, yeah, here I am. I'm right here. I'm, you know, like bringing my mind and body back together. Wow. That's very, very powerful. Mind and body in the same place at the same time. I love it. So what made you yeah. stick with your practice of mindfulness for so long? And by the way, what is mindful eating? Yeah, mindful eating is just that same idea of being present with the food while we're eating it with that sort of flavor of loving kindness, you know, really being there with each bite, enjoying it, you know, really recognizing the food for what it is. This food, you know, this oatmeal in front of me, it grew in a field somewhere. Somewhere it grew in a field. Someone had to to pick the oats, someone had to process it, you know, all of what went into it. When I look deeply into the oatmeal, I can see that. And I can be with that with a bite and just, you know, even one bite I can just appreciate. Wow, all that went into this one bite. Wow, and, and really what changes it. for you when you're really present with food? How does that change uh, your relationship with the food? Well, that's really the key to it all. The more I can be present with my food, then the more comfortable I am with it, the less I eat. That is a huge thing. When I'm present with my food, then I know I'm full sooner. I'm like, oh, I'm actually full now because I'm I'm aware of myself right now instead of my mind, again, being off somewhere else and I just keep eating and eating and eating because I don't even realize I'm full. Wow. So that's a huge thing is I recognize I'm full. But also, I'm just much happier. I'm, like, grateful for the food. I'm with the food. It's it's the same as what we talked about in being engaged with my husband. I can be engaged with the food. I'm there with the food, and I'm not off worrying. And, you know, if I'm off worrying while I'm eating, a lot of times I find that my stomach will hurt because I'm, like, got these worries in my head while I'm trying to eat, and that's not, it's not pleasant. It takes mm. the whole pleasure out of eating. Yeah, and it takes the pleasure out of you being in your relationship or with your children or even being with yourself. Annie, what are your parting words of wisdom about this mindfulness with food and how you got to write this book, Things I Did When I Was Hangry? (laughs) And the subtitle is really important because you're talking about a new way when you say navigating a new way of being with food. Right. Well, my parting words is that this is not rocket science, and this is something that everyone can do. And it, and it, really all it takes is the intention to do it, to sit down and to really be present with our food when we're eating it or with our partner when we're with them. But it takes just that moment, just one breath is all it really takes, and we can be there. And that can really change our life because, you know, we can be there for our life whether it's the eating or the the partner, whatever it is, we can actually be there and not lose it, not waste it, right, and not miss it. So. Mm. That's beautiful. So one of the biggest changes that you talk about is very important to underline, which is when we're present with food, we notice that we're full. And you end mm-hmm. up not eating more than your body actually needs. So does that mean you've stabilized 
in terms of that yo-yo effect? Completely. Completely, yeah. I, I don't seem to have any of that up and down in terms of weight. I mean, you know, there's a few pounds with my age or whatever coming up and down, but there's no sense of um, of like, oh, my gosh, I've got to really, you know, put on some or take some off or whatever. There's no sense of that at all. It's really just coming back to the food, coming back to my body. Oh, I need to come back to my body to see what does my body want right now. That's the practice. Now so you're not me, worried so about like, the few extra pounds? No. Mm-mm. Wow. No, because I know when I'm present with my food, I'll be comfortable and I'm happy. I'm happy with how I am because I'm enjoying the food instead of hating myself, hating the food, miserable, missing my life. I'm now present for my life. Hmm. So if someone wanted to start a mindfulness practice, what would you advise them to do? Well, one thing you could get on my blog, and there are some resources there, but also you can find a group that does meditation. I really recommend being practicing with a group if you can because it makes it so much easier and so much more likely that we'll follow through with it. And there are meditation groups everywhere across the country now, and they're pretty easy to find. So I, I think that would be my main focus is maybe maybe a five-minute meditation practice every day, but more importantly to have a group of people that you can meditate with or connect with around this too. Yeah, and that group experience is important. I'm glad you brought that up because when we have support, I don't care what it is we're working on, support is the magic ingredient. It mm-hmm. keeps us going. It helps us stay with it. And certainly if you have somebody who's teaching meditation, you can learn some of the tricks because Western minds, you know, in uh, India, they say the mind is like a drunken monkey. I think here in the West (laughs) it's a lot worse than that. I think we have (laughs) drunken monkeys on bad, bad, bad drugs here in the West. So Annie, thank you so very much. It's Annie Mann, everybody. Her last name is spelled M-A-H-O-N. She wrote a book. Now, we're big advocates here at Modern Love Radio of creating a library, whether it's a library in your little mobile device or whether it's one of the old-school libraries where the books line the walls. You need to pick up this book and put it in your arsenal of modern love tools because your relationship with money reflects your relationship with yourself and it affects your relationship with everybody in your life. You were listening to Annie, weren't you? So the book is Things I Did When I Was Hangry, Navigating a Peaceful Relationship with Food. And Annie has a website. Let me give you that. Take this down, everyone. It's www.rawmindfulness.com. How about that? So big thank you to our guest, Annie Mann. And Annie, we'll have to have you back to talk more about mindfulness and food and how that's a stabilizing influence in our lives in every way. The last thing I must tell you is if you live in the San Francisco Bay Area and you want food that's easy to deal with when you want a mindful lifestyle, head on over to Rainbow Grocery. I can't say enough about the great prices, the organic food, the freshness of the food, and the helpful worker owners of this great worker-owned co-op. Love you, Rainbow Foods. Thank you so much. 
And thank you to our producer, LeGrand Green, to our associate producer, Cliff Dunning, and thank you, Modern Love Radio listeners. Please spread the word about Modern Love. And last but not least, I have a gift for you. If you want to know more about making your modern love life all that you want it to be, I've got a free teleseminar for you. One hour, live, free, real-time Send me an email at love at docwade.com. All right, everyone. Blessings. Goodbye.